I'm an outlaw, quick on the draw, something you've never seen before, and I dare a motherfucker to come in my face. I've got something chrome, and I got it from home, and it ain't a microphone, and I dare a motherfucker to come in my face. It's so real how I feel, because this society, it makes a player want to kill. I'm just straight ill. Riding my motorcycle down the streets, while politicians, they sound like strippers to me. Oh baby, you want me? Oh baby, you want me? Well, baby, you want me? Well, you can get this lap dance here for free. Wise words there from the late, great NERD. Not a scary band, but a band that you may listen to around the time of Halloween just because their music is so resonant. I'm Edward Smith. This is the Bullet Points Podcast. I'm joined as ever by N.E. Reed McCarter. <laughs> R dot I dot Wait, how do I spell my name? It's R dot E dot I dot No Forget it, forget it Forget it I was listening to that song in the week And I thought that makes It sounds almost like a quote From like Rudyard Kipling Or something Anything Sounds enough like a quote by do you say do you, do you call them nerd or do you call them nerd? Uh, you can call them what you want, just don't call them late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I call them nerd. You call them nerd. I call them nerd. I I'll be honest. I haven't had much of much occasion. Do you not? To say do you not even? Do you not even know? Years. Do you know the song Lap Dance? Yeah, of course. Everyone knows that one, don't they? Because I don't want to just sound like I was insane and <laughs> just like talking to myself. No, you know what's a good NERD song is that song Provider. Provider, you know goodbye beloved ones, you know what I am, you won't see my face no more, I'm a provider girl, gotta face the streets tonight. I don't like the bit where he breaks it down though. Someday, someday I'll get a job and I'll be a vote. I don't like that bit. Um, um, before we move on from music discussion, there was one other song that was play, playing in on my my mind Uh uh, today and so if i could quote uh, a brief uh, a few verses from this i was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise (laughs) never really caught the subtext there before and suddenly to my surprise he did the match now that is mary shelley as I remember. Uh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Percy Byron Shelley wrote Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Mary <laughs> wrote Franken- Frankenstein's Monster Mash is, I believe, the full title. Monster Mash or the modern day Prometheus. <laughs> <laughs> or the modern day Prometheus dance. Uh, anyway, this is the Bullet Points Podcast, a podcast all about video games, not music. Uh, although sometimes we wish that it was. Uh, yeah, I'm Ed Smith. This is Reed McCarter. We're here with a Halloween special of a kind, talking specifically, or rather generally, about scary games. Ooh. Games. That are, now, usually when we talk on the show about scary games, we're talking about games that are so, <laughs> so shit that they're frightening. This time, we're talking mm. about games that are meant to be scary, that are meant to be frightening, that contain moments that are scary. Um, and there are a lot of them, aren't there? 
<laughs> there are more than four, uh, I would say. Uh, yeah, somewhere in that kind of 30 to 90 bracket, I would say. Uh, scary games. And we've written about some of them for Bullet Points Monthly, the sister publication to this podcast, over the last month or so. And we, we've done that likewise, I think, for the past couple of years, haven't we, on Bullet Points Monthly? If by a couple of years you mean last year, last year as well, okay. then t- uh, second year is the beginning of a tradition mm-hmm. yeah um so if, if our site still exists in a year and we do it again that may be that may be a tradition it is a tradition by that point so there's a few things to consider then when we're talking about horror games i think one of the questions that is gonna underlie all of our discussion is what constitute like how does horror function in a game as opposed to in a movie or in a tv show or in a book what constitutes sort of fear in a game and how does the notion of scaring somebody work when they're such an integral part of kind of moving the experience forward themselves and we'll also likely talk about uh, particular moments in scary games that were scary, like particularly frightening moments, particularly horrific video games. What maybe can be horrific in a game that could not be horrific in a movie or in a novel or even in like reality? What is there? Is there some sort of special X factor that video games have that allows them to be scary in ways that other media is not necessarily? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure how to like springboard this discussion. Um, well, I was going to say I have a, a prompt. That may get us where we're going. Okay. Um, it's super general, as these things often are. But if you can just pluck, <clears throat> don't overthink it. You know, yeah. you're not you're not sitting down to write an article. <laughs> you know, that mm. will be remembered forever. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, just a, a personal, uh, most frightening moment in the game. The first that that pops into mind is something that you know genuinely unsettled you and whatever way you want to interpret that whether it it just you know made you uncomfortable or made you like jump or it kind of like wormed its way into your head for a bit i think the the problem with mine is that it leads us into a a, already onto a tangent rather than that's fine so the some of the scariest moments i've had playing games have actually been playing the fallout games and uh encountering glitches and sort of oddities i find glitches in games quite terrifying and uh, Fallout, I think, like three and New Vegas especially, are games that already are, you know, replete with some frightening creatures and um, landscape and so on. And then when it starts to kind of bug out and act erratically, I think it's like it's the erraticness of glitches. So you, uh, there being a occa- it was an occasion when I was playing Fallout Four, uh, excuse me, three. Uh, do you remember, you know, the Death Claw, the big you know, mm-hmm. reptilian enemy in Fallout series? And it was, like, charging towards me. And then it started running on the spot. And then a... Um, I, it, like, do you remember on, I don't know, old episodes of, like, Cops or something? When someone swears and, like, the, the black bar goes over their mouth so you can't even see their lips. Uh-huh. That appeared over one of its hands... Uh huh. He was giving you the finger, <laughs> and then it, it like vanished, and then appeared you know twenty feet closer, still running on the spot. 
and then like the sound started going like, and then it, it, it disappeared, and, and I just jumped off and, and turned off the console because it was like this this horrible sort of video drone <laughs> um, <laughs> moment, and that like that petrified me. Yeah, that's Todd Howard presents video drone. <laughs> I, really, it was. Uh, so, th- but that's that's kind of talking about something that happened that was scary in a game, but not like an intentional thing. I remember I remember being very scared by the first zombie in Resident Evil, and I remember being scared by um, a few of the jumps in Resident Evil 2, and um, more will come to me later. How about you? Well, I think, I don't know, we could talk, too, about that at first, too, the idea of... Because I think there's, like, there's a bit of a history with that kind of thing, isn't there, of, of people playing around with the idea of, like, glitches and like kind of like technical mishaps as being like horror itself like i remember there was god wasn't it some it was either like some message board thing or it was an actual like rom hack or something but there was like the idea of like this pokemon game that was haunted or something because like you go into the spooky graveyard or something and then things start glitching in the game Mm um and i think God, I wish we had Astrid on on this as well. But I don't know how many like uh, games by. Um, if you played any kitty horror show games, yeah, I played. I played Anatomy. Okay. Which is fantastic. I, just to announce at the top of the show, if no one's played Anatomy by by Kitty Horror Show, the the writing in that game, the tapes, the you know those sort of monologues on the tapes, are mm-hmm. just are great. They're, yeah, they're really good. I finally i'd been meaning to play that for a long time and played it and i was playing um a few days ago as well was playing her she's a collection that uh you should check out to uh haunted cities yeah yeah volume i've, I've played another one three. of those i can't oh i'm probably gonna play volume three okay yeah there i i remember checking out first and or the second one but she like just a few days ago at the time we were recording this, it's like a bunch of like some Patreon games that she had put out right. um, that she bundled up for free. I think probably just to help spread the word. Um, but then you'll you'll know what I'm talking about then with because anatomy is sort of anatomy feels it does have some of this in it, like some of the uh, kind of like unexpected weird game world kind of betraying you sort of stuff but she has in in some other games as well and it's not just her doing this but uh games where it it almost seems like things are breaking Mm -hmm. like like the the levels themselves are not functioning the way they're supposed to so you get this discordance i think it's kind of like really interesting in video games because we usually look at them as being they're working or they're broken but by embracing brokenness like intentionally you can make something really eerie that i think plays off the idea that something isn't working the way it's supposed to Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because it's like you remember like when there were those screenshots going around too of like assassin's creed one of them where it had some bug where like the faces like the face textures Mm -hmm. didn't load in so it's just eyeballs and teeth (laughs) it's like I don't know. I, I think there's there's something to that, and I think smart artists have already, you know, kind of mined it yeah. a decent amount. But the idea that something that you expect to function not functioning properly can be really unsettling. Well, I'd, I'd go to um, 
Observer, which was one of my favourite games last year. And now that's not a game where it's kind of metatextual and saying, you know, the game that you are playing has stopped functioning. But it is uh, a game where your character spends a lot of time in a virtual reality setting which slowly erodes and deteriorates and begins kind of f at first breaking and then the sort of breakage is becoming hostile. And that certainly played on that idea, I think, of, like you were saying, um, something that's frightening. You, you know how in a movie like The Blair Witch Project, the, what, the unknown is what is frightening? And mm -hmm. the sort of lack of uh, sort of tangibility and relatability. I think that a video game as uh, an object and as an experience is usually quite tangible and relatable and navigable and it has extremely firm rules and boundaries that you expect to always remain functioning and in play and consistent and fair with you and when they are perceived to start breaking it becomes that experience of the unknown of the um, unreliable and that's the that's the fear factor there um, it's that sort of establishing or, or rather uh, accepting the existence of an established set of values and then yeah fucking with it yeah it's um yeah I, I think this is like one of those things too where you probably can't get kind of grandiose and say that we spend so much of our lives modern lives interacting with technology in a way that you know we expect it to work and there's probably a comfort and a rhythm to you know loading a website and it just displays properly or checking Twitter or doing your banking on your phone or something or sending texts and when things start to like misbehave in some way mm -hmm. that isn't just like broken it isn't just this doesn't work but it starts like handling itself kind of unpredictably it's like I don't know probably when people were scared of Linda Blair saying you know disgusting things and she's a little girl mm. it's like the idea of like just something that is so like a i don't know something that's just psychologically yeah like you you, you think oh, a little girl in when was the exorcist early 70s right 74 oh, okay but you look at this idea of like you know dominant religious values and like the image of like the little little girl who's supposed to be innocent and and kind of like pure and everything and then it's just subverted in this way that i think probably freaked people out a lot more then than it does now mm -hmm. um but the idea of something as well just like taken for granted i don't know this it feels like very like armchair psychology when you talk about horror in this way but i still think it's interesting it feels like trying to explain to somebody why a joke is funny you know, something being scary is is visceral and uh, I think kind of instant and sort of <clears throat> you're you're scared faster than you intellectually process something. Uh, but nevertheless, when it's a video game, and I think that the discussion and understanding about video games is so couched in the idea of design and how this was designed and how this was designed mm. to deliver something it becomes irresistibly tempting to look at 
<coughs> the the design and the sort of yeah the, the the cognition and manufacture behind these frightening moments um i think i i almost every article i ever wrote about a horror game was always kind of digging into what is it that is within the design of the game that results in this being frightening um and i going back to very very frightening moments is there anything that sticks out for you um i don't know mine are so like <laughs> it's like the same thing of like if you ask me what some of the scariest things i've ever seen in the movie are i would say you know like the end of the blair witch is frightening and things like that which are just like <clears throat> not for lack of like poking around and trying to find other stuff too but like these things work well i think part of it was my age but silent hill the very first one um i think i might have mentioned this to you before as well but there's a part i think where you're toward the end where you're in a hospital and it's like the, the silent hill version of it where it's you know the alternate meaty world and you're walking around and you go into this room that has no purpose on the map and it just has like a I think like a it's like a chain link floor kind of it's in an old hospital and you just kind of look in and and check around to see if there's anything that you need in there and it's quiet and then the floor i think just starts banging below you mm -hmm. and then just stops and you know i think it's completely easy to miss or you know not there for any particular reason but sort of I think the Silent Hill games are, are good at priming you for that kind of thing all the time because they're uncomfortable. Um, but that moment in that game kind of, like, fucked with me in the sense of it, like... It, it makes you start thinking that these horrible things that you can't quite see are there all the time. It makes it more literal by having something actually, like, happen audibly and visibly. Mm. <clears throat> but I don't know. I feel like when I say something like that i'm just like yeah it's just it's just well made you know just here's something that was effectively done and it's like why so many people are like cite the the dogs jumping through the window behind you in resident evil it's uh it's well done and it's again it's like a, a good example of what we're talking about you know it's, it's, it's a well-designed moment but i i think there is a difference between the resident evil dogs and what you describe from silent hill in so much as like there's there's an element of restraint maybe uh in as much as it doesn't actually explode out of the floor and you don't then have to fight it and uh the everything in, is implied and i know it's such like a kind of bullshit nerd critic discussion things are scarier when they're implied yeah uh, i know uh, we know but it is true but it, it is true <laughs> you know? uh, well it's, it, but then again I, I feel like it's true to an extent i feel like i've played pl plenty of horror games that that lean so heavily into that philosophy we're going to imply and not actually state that uh they they weren't frightening like the, the implicature was so thick that it just meant, yeah. it just meant nothing happened um Slender is the one that always comes to me because you'll see S Slenderman uh, stand, standing there not doing anything and then if you look at Slenderman 
um, the the screen will go to television static, and there'll be a close-up shot of Slenderman, and then the game will end, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like that, that's all it gives you. And although I, I understand the thinking there that we're going to leave a lot of gaps and assume that people fill them in with their imagination, or maybe with the lore of Slenderman that they've seen on the internet, I I was never afraid of that game just because just so little happened. Uh, it was so like bare. Mm-hmm. I didn't know who the character was. I didn't know what the character was meant to be scared of. I didn't know what Slenderman did when he caught you. I, I didn't know uh, like the origins or uh, anything to do with Slenderman. So I, none of it, it didn't pay off. I think Silent mm-hmm. Hill and Silent Hill 2, I've, I've not played the third one, both walk that tightrope between... Well, they show you lots of stuff. They show you lots you know. of stuff. And you have got... Typically, I think more so in the second game than the first, uh, a sort of a character with you know face, voice, motivations, and things that he is frightened of, and at the same time, it is still quite withdrawn at times and sort of um, again implied instead of actually shown or whatever. But there's still enough. It's like just it's. This is I'm going to labour a metaphor. If you imagine mm-hmm. one of those kind of. If you imagine like a, a one of those boards where you know you put like the cylinder into the circle hole and the uh, the oblong into the square hole and whatever, right? The, pr- uh, the prism. Vid- video games, <laughs> right? So what I'm saying is that like the, the the effective horror, or rather the ineffective horror, uh, just gives you the board and says like fill in these gaps. Effective mm-hmm. horror gives you the board but also the pieces you, you you've got like the knowledge of your characters like psychology and background you've got the implication of what happens if you are killed or if you are caught you've got these kind of pieces to slot into the gaps the gaps are still there but you're given things to you know sort of drag and drop into them and i think that that is the yeah well yeah there are like two different things i started thinking about based on that which It'd be interesting to talk a little bit more maybe after as well about um, if you ever find something frightening, uh, you know, and I'm not saying Ghost Recon Wildlands frightening. <laughs> I mean, like something something that actually upset you, but you thought the game itself was trash, you know, similar kind of feeling to a movie that unnerved you, but it was kind of garbage in the end. Um, but the other thing I was thinking as well about this kind of thing of sort of showing versus telling and the unknown and and who your character is and everything is I, I think there's something specific about games that horror movies have always done I mean all all horror I think has done this a lot but of having to continue to go further into situations that you would prefer not you know you do want to go further because it's part of the reason that you're playing or reading or watching in the first place but that you um you know we're going to get worse and worse. Mm. Um, I was thinking about that with Silent Hill, and especially, you know, you you have these characters and you know why they're doing the things they're doing, which I think it makes it more frightening than, you know, Mr. Slenderman, when it's just you're a, a person with a flashlight in the woods. <laughs> John, so, John like, Slenderman. <laughs> John, John Slenderman. Because, like, I don't know, like that game, if it's just context-free... It, it, I, some context-free stuff can work, but that that specifically it just feels like okay, whatever, turn it off. Who mm-hmm. cares? Yeah. You're playing something where you know Silent Hill or 
um, I think uh, the Chinese room, Amnesia, the machine for pigs, which I think is is not super terrifying on a on a kind of conventional level, but I found quite frightening. Um, does this as well, where you're, you're you're pushing further into situations that you don't want to. You you kind of it's like the gothic thing of you you know something terrible is waiting, but you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why something like Silent Hill mm. works. You know, because you you know you have to continue getting to this place and to to you know sometimes just on the basic level you want to solve a puzzle or something which means you have to keep walking around this joint figuring things out i think that's that's one of the interesting dynamics between horror and a video game insofar as once again talking about you know expectations of video games and sort of video game design rubrics and um what you'd anticipate experientially in regards to playing a video game is that you always expect to make progress and to move to a new area and for everything that you kind of collect keys ammunition maps to be conducive to making headway but in a horror game there's a sort of sense of like paradox there in as much as what you collect and the ability that it gives you to move forward also means that it's going to propel you into more like scares um, mm-hmm. I think of Resident Evil which is not a frightening game particularly uh, the, the original three had the moments and they're certainly effective on me when I was younger but not so much now probably as a result of playing them so much anyway I I think of yeah you you get the, the, the second game in the police station where like you've explored the entire east wing of the police station collected all the necessary parts that you need to kind of put together to access the west wing which is in raw video gaming terms progress but at the same time mm. you don't there's, there's a large party that doesn't want to go there because it's not safe the bit that you've already been over and kind of again in like a video gaming term used up and sort of played and and consumed is sort of safe uh so like progress becomes this kind of dual-edged sword which i, I think yeah it, it it's an interesting thing to play with that i don't know uh, it's not one of those things I don't think there's ever I, well I don't know is it one of those things that games have ever made one of those kind of meta textual reference to uh, like progress is destructive um, a horror game at least I, I think Silent Hill 2 does it I think like the further you get through Silent Hill 2 the more your character at least begins to kind of feel the burden of his own psychology and the more you progress into the town the more sort of deformed it becomes uh soma i think yeah absolutely does a good job of every the further you progress you know you you clear if you want to put it yeah in those really video gamey terms you clear an area and your reward is usually more unsettling knowledge about the nature of your character and the nature of where they are um that's a game where halfway through you start thinking well they they don't have they don't have too much more to do mm. that they can show you <laughs> that that will make this situation kind of worse. And, and they manage to end it on, I think one of the most existentially horrifying, um, sort images and, and ideas, mm. uh, 
with, and this is uh, spoilers for the end of Soma, but you know that that image where your character is at the bottom of the on the ocean floor, uh, completely surrounded by blackness, <clears throat> and then uh, can either is it a choice where you can upload your memory into the kind of it, like cloud? I think it happens. Heaven. I think that's the ending. But, so the, the, yeah. That is the ending. Uh, the, the, the existential part is you've been playing as... Yeah, because basically uh, you upload your memory into the, the cloud thing that's like a sort of digital heaven for your consciousness where all the other consciousness of all the other... It's like a nice big kind of warm foresty social club where all the consciences of all the other people who survived are living. And uh, you upload your consciousness to it and there's the, the game de de describes it as a coin toss either you will um, you will awaken in there right, right. or you will remain uh, as the the version from which the consciousness was copied and you lose the coin toss and you remain at the bottom of the sea uh and the copy of your consciousness is the one that goes onto the the arc it's called and i think the reason it's existentially terrifying is not just that image uh, and, it, and it's so crushing because even like your little AI helper dies, like runs out. Of oh power, yeah! And he is just sat in the dark at the bottom of the sea on the destroyed planet Earth, uh, like crushingly, completely, geographically alone. And the, the the existential part for me is this idea that there's a better version of you, and you failed to become it. Like you, you, you're the bad version of you. There's this, there's this much better version of you out there, and you're not it. You know, there's this like better future that you could have had, and you failed to obtain it. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's also philosophically in in that sense too, as as someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife, uh, aside from essentially the idea of you living on as you know memories and other people. Um, the idea of literalizing that as you are buried <laughs> at the bottom of the sea mm. uh, below a dying planet in the vast solar system and the only thing that lives on is is the idea of you mm. um, while you are you're, you're sort of uh, I don't like it <laughs> like uh, the the imagery of that as well I think is is so. Like, I think it supports a lot of different readings, but there's probably, like, nothing more potent than the bottom of the sea. Mm. And uh, at the top, you know, at, back on land, everything is, is done. Earth is finished, right? It's, I think it's like an environmental catastrophe, mm -hmm. if I remember right. Um, That's how it's an asteroid, I, asteroid. Right. And so Soma, Soma, I think, is one of the kind of top examples i think it's it's probably the my favorite video game horror story it's it it takes this really i think a really kind of familiar premise right like it seems at first like it's just going to be you know our robots people and it, it kind of does away with that question over an interesting and kind of fast moving uh first or two acts i can't remember mm -hmm. But then it, it introduces these concepts that are familiar concepts, but it, it really leans into how upsetting they can be. Um, 
and uh, I think makes really strong use of of not just like saying here's a metaphor for what we're talking about and and leaving things indistinct it explains everything it's trying to do and it gives you the metaphor of you know going down that fucking hellish that elevator thing yeah, you yeah, go down yeah, at one point yeah. where it's just marking the depths of the sea mm-hmm. and I, I don't know I'm losing track because but I'm thinking about these things and it's the, skeeving me out the original thing we were thinking about was this idea of almost like anti-progress and I think yeah. Soma into I think Soma, the ending of Soma really marks that idea that it shows you what you were working towards and what you actually got and um it gives it leaves you with this impression that you know i went through all of that stuff and things just got worse which i think is a, a really terrifying prospect um one of the but this is this is like mechanics we're talking about mechanics and mm-hmm. um video game design and i i'm, I'm before we wrap up i'm interested in uh, talking about <coughs> aesthetics and <laughs> i know uh, and how just like visually and illustratively video games are scary one, one of the ones that I remember thinking about to some extent was Outlast which is a game that is uh, visually in the vein of found footage horror movies now found footage mm-hmm. horror movies get a bad rap and I, un- mm-hmm. I understand why. It's because the characters in them are usually thin, and the plots in them are usually thin, and the scares in them are usually kind of like half baked and take a long time to appear and mm-hmm. are glanced over. And I find that frustrating as well. But I, I still maintain, uh, obviously they're, they're overplayed as well. But I, I still maintain that I, I, f- I personally find found footage uh, quite scary. I, I, I think that visually it's it's still quite arresting. And yeah because um, there, there, there are some examples of it like The Blair Witch Project I think Wreck is a scary film I think the first Paranormal Activity is a scary film I even think there are moments in Cloverfield that are actually quite powerful I remember seeing that film in the cinema and uh, I still think the found footage can work the, the issue that I take not issue, that's too great a word but the, the contradiction I think that's present in a game like Outlast is whether or not what, whether or not it truly is kind of of found footage um, because like the idea of found footage is I think basically because you've got such a great amount of control over what you're seeing and the idea of found footage is like catching things accidentally yeah. and the camera being quite yeah. erratic again to use that word erratic and um, there being a sense of you mi- you're missing things outlast because you can very very carefully control the camera doesn't quite feel like it quite ascribes to found footage. It's almost found footage in a kind of superficial way, you know, like a night vision lens. Yeah. It's already seen in the top four. But that's that's an example. I'm not, I don't want to go like, into too much detail that last, but this is this is what I mean when I'm talking about like aesthetics of horror games. Is there any is there anything that you think is but particularly I, visually striking? Well, I think though I don't like those outlast games but i do like the basic like if you you know if they said we're gonna make another outlast it comes out next year i'd probably like look at pictures of and go yeah yeah i want to play that Mm. even though 
going by precedent, I do not really want to play it. Um, I, I think like Outlast Two actually has, I think, some really interesting kind of like apocalyptic, like uh, Judeo-Christian apocalyptic imagery, or I guess specifically Christian, with um, or no Judeo-Christian uh, spoilers as well for that. You played that, didn't you? I, I did. I played Outlast Two. Um, I don't like, but it has this either, by the way. Yeah, I, well, I, they're not great, but sometimes the imagery is is pretty. It's pretty interesting. Like, it's it's all this super obvious stuff, but <clears throat> Outlast Two ends with uh, essentially the the biblical end of the world. Like, it starts raining blood and uh, the different seals. <laughs> it, it's it's. Sorry, <laughs> that's our Kingdom Hearts podcast. <laughs> It's where it really rains blood. Um, speaking of fucking horror games, there's <laughs> Mickey Mouse walking around in a robe. Um, uh, but it has this like sort of imagery that if you if you portray it just sort of in a cheap way, it's you know it, it's it is what it is. It's stuff that we've all kind of heard about and seen many times before if you grew up in in Canada or, or Britain or lots of other countries. But when it's in this video game space and you're, you're walking through it, it's uh, there's something about it that's really effective, especially when it's being shown through a camera and it doesn't have the same kind of distancing that, that you would expect from a found footage movie where you're thinking more obviously that here's special effects being shown to you because a video game is all artifice anyway like in terms of just like kind of fidelity and everything um i don't know if i'm rambling on but but there's something about that that works um so that stuff is really cool it also just like kind of looks sweet because it's like misty and there's blood raining from the sky and the the ground is all reddish and nasty looking and the moon is hazy and there's inverted crosses all over and you know the hits, mm. the classics. All the hits. Um, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, that's a game that. Uh, man, if that game shut up a little bit, and you you kind of just walk through it a little bit, and almost like. Yeah, and if it. I don't know. It was so. I wrote a thing for, Paste about how. I don't know. It's a pretty fucking regressive game yeah, <laughs> when you totally. like think about it too. Uh, man, like, yeah, sorry. Well, it's like the the key scares in it are some of them. If I'm remembering right, are like a naked woman walks up to you and it's like, hey, check it out. Here's a, a video game vulva. Yeah, Have you ever yeah. seen that before? And it's like, ooh, spooky. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just so like, I don't know, fucking regressive and kind of like trying to play on on fears of essentially just like i don't know nudity and sexuality and so it's like trying to condemn this like super christian doomsday cult while being like a fundamentalist christian outlook and in how terrified of of sex essentially it is fundamentally but yeah i um Almost just, just talking about things in games that have scared me now, and 
do it. Well, Greatest I, yeah, hits. I was gonna, well, I was gonna, I was gonna try and like, dive more into one of the things we talked about when we when we looked at that game, Blood, uh, was not scary horror. You know. Yeah. You, in Resident Evil Four, I think of. Yeah, your Resident Evil, your Resident Evil Fours, your Bloods, your Dooms, um, <laughs> things like that. I, I find really entertaining. Just Halloween in a kind of like Nickelodeon. Cartoon Network, Scooby-Doo sense, pumpkins and mm -hmm. ghoulies and monsters. I, I really like. But then, I, for some reason, uh, my mind jumped to Firewatch, which I think contains... It, it would never work on me again because I know that it's there now. But when it... I've only played the game once. And when... It was like a sequence. It was almost like for an hour, I felt like I was on edge playing that game. It started with one moment, which is where uh, you have to leave your Firewatch Tower in the middle of the night to go and find some like beeping be mm, radio mm -hmm. or beacon or you know SOS handset or something, and you get a call from what's her name again? Like I can't remember. Yeah, anyway, the. the the, your friend who occupies the other Firewatch Tower some miles away and you get a call and she starts talking to you and then she says something like um, hey uh, you know, are you making a cup of tea right now? Yeah. And then he says what? What do you mean? She says oh yeah I can see you, you're in your tower and you're like oh my god because you know obviously you've left the tower and now there's someone in there and my heart like skipped a beat at that moment and I, I find, and then for the rest, there's a part of the game where you have to, you have to go. I can't remember the context. But you have to go a long way across the area that you're fire watching, and then, and then go all the way back. And you like sporadically, you'll get these radio calls where they'll talk about who is this guy who we think is hanging around, and and oh, I think I can see someone or whatever. And there's no one there, and nothing happens. And you're in these wide open, verdant, beautiful, you know, majestically lit plains of the middle americas but it feels like you're being watched the entire time mm -hmm. i've never I, I can't put a thumb on you know how that was sort of done i that makes me think of how much i love stuff where and it's probably infected my brain you know being a youngest child and growing up and like you know i saw blair witch too young in theaters and it like traumatized me and you know i've watched too much different horror media over the years where I'll go up to a cottage and if say it's late at night and you know I'm one of the last two people up at a cottage and you know you're in the Muskokas in Ontario and you go outside and it's just beautiful right like a lake and nice trees but I'll go outside at night you know, have a cigarette or something and then you realize how alone you are and I'm thinking this is a gorgeous place here and this is something to enjoy but instead it, it gets like colored with this sense of fear just because you're you start thinking of all these different things and they they uh yeah like they color the experience where you're you're thinking okay all of a sudden now i i feel uneasy but it can flip again really quickly to being you know sort of appreciating uh natural landscape and everything same thing with you can be in a house by yourself and enjoy the solitude and the freedom to do what you want but then your mind inflects it with something and all of a sudden it turns into something completely different. And I think about like stuff like how Firewatch does that where you're in this 
you know, gorgeous rendition of of this national park, and then all of a sudden it becomes horror, um, and then isn't again. Mm. And you can appreciate the natural beauty again. I think things like uh, Gone Home, I think, does that for the first. It, I wouldn't do it now be, if you've heard of what the game's about. But when it first came out, no one really knew, uh, or at least I didn't know exactly what it was about other than it seemed roughly like a ghost story and it plays into that for i think the first 20 minutes or so um and then all of a sudden it's something different again and i think about the ways that if you have a really sort of tight control over the kind of story you're telling um and this kind of goes back to what we were saying before too about like when you how you define something as horror or not, but you can really turn something into horror and then turn it back mm. to a different, you know, a drama or a comedy or whatever very quickly if you have sort of tight control over, I don't know, what you're making. Mm. Sorry, that's rambly. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I think that um, games and films, the horrors that I find most effective are the ones that, that do that, I think. Um, I think it's just <clears throat> really going into the, the bushes in terms of like armchair psychology and um, I don't know, like a, a YouTube channel where some guy postulates for 45 minutes per video about like why one horror works and um, like the video title is in all capital letters and it's like how, how, how horror can be effective something like that um, yeah that's what we would title this podcast but i think that it's it's hard to associate yourself with a character or an event that is just frightening and someone who's like just scared and just screaming so having them these scenes where you know they're just talking or just laughing or in firewatch like doing their job and then you know something happens it's that it's it right back to what we're talking about at the start which is that you know, establishing of like conventions of video games and then sort of tearing the rug a little bit. I think in Firewatch, mm-hmm. you spend the opening hours of the game doing, you know, this uh, very, very um, work a day job. In a sense, I mean, it's, it's still quite a cool job. It's like an interesting and an unusual job, but, you know, you, you go through the motions of that job with that character for the first hour or so, and then things start to sort of unwind. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that it works, um, and yeah, I think it, it, it's a game about like I don't know, agoraphobia almost. By the end of it, you know, you're, you're kind of scared to leave your your tower. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think my my conclusion <laughs> for this podcast <laughs> is that I I don't th- I don't have a formula for you know why why one game is scary and why isn't. In so, uh, in much the same way, I don't really, I don't think there exists a formula for it. No, there definitely does. I've watched YouTube <laughs> film criticism. There is, there is a formula. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I don't, you know, I, Re- I don't usually find guys scary. I, I find like the supernatural scary. Not, you know, not guys with weapons or, or guys invading the house. I yeah I agree with you. I'm also a guy, which maybe which is why it is right. Yeah, informs I, that right. Absolutely. There's a. Have you seen that TV show Luther? 
uh, I've seen, I think, the first five it's minutes. It's a really bad show. Um, yeah. Idris Elba has this one acting technique where uh, someone will tap... Stop it. I, you're always saying this. I don't about... like him. I don't like Idris Elba's acting. I, I like him. He's He does this thing in Luther. Maybe it's not an acting technique. Maybe, maybe it is a, a trait of the Luther character that Idris Elba's <laughs> acting naturally lends... Um, <laughs> Like Thank you. Okay, but he, he does this thing. I've, I've completely forgotten my point. But he does this thing in Luther, where a character a character will tell him something he doesn't like. So his wife will come home, and he'll say to her like, "Have you been seeing that guy again?" And and she'll like she'll like look at the floor for a minute, and then she'll look up, almost like tears in her eyes, and she'll go, "You know I have." And Luther Luther will stop, and he'll put his hands into the pockets of his raincoat. And he'll walk around. Like, He's always wearing that raincoat. He's wearing that raincoat. He'll walk around about four, in all the pictures I've seen. About five or six paces in complete silence. And he'll go, fucking hell! And start like throwing everything <laughs> off the shelves and kick the door off its hinges. And, yeah, it's a classic. Yeah, and just like pull out his teeth and just, just, just completely lose his Luther, his shit. Now, uh, there's a bit in one of the episodes of Luther, to, to rein this right back in, there's a bit in one of the episodes of Luther where the opening of the episode is we see this young woman return home. And she turns off all her lights and sort of uh, undresses and gets into bed. And then out from under the bed emerges this, like, home invader yeah. who's been waiting there under the bed. That's no good. And every... Every... Uh, uh, female friend of mine remembers this so starkly and is petrified by it. And it is like a, you know, it's a scary moment. But but for them, it was like a leave the lights on, uh, a scariest moment of all time kind of thing. So when you're talking this... about not afraid of guys because you're a guy, I think that yeah, I have kind of different fears as a result of the, the sort of safety that my gender privileges me to. Yeah, and which is not to say I think that it's it's a blanket, but it's uh, I, I've thought about that sometimes, about, well, why doesn't this frighten me as much? Mm. Um, when it's a lot more realistic to be, much, yeah. you know, obvi- obviously to be attacked by another human being than to, you know, even if you think about it, what's a ghost really going like, to do isn't it? Isn't it perverse? that I am able to walk around uh, not afraid, uh, more afraid of ghosts than being, like, mugged or, you know, attacked or something. Yeah. Yeah. But then, talking about how there's no formula, Manhunt, a game which is guy-centric, guys with weapons-centric, really, really frightened me. Yeah. Yep. That's that's the thing, right? And that's what I mean by, I think... Again, I wish we... Uh, the scheduling allowed for Astrid to be on here as well, because she said something that feels right when she first said it. Uh, we were talking with some other people about horror, and she said, you know, paraphrasing this, probably butchering it to whatever extent, but she said, you know, talking about what's scary and what's not is almost besides the point because you know horror is sort of like pornography you know it 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 does it for you or it doesn't and it's sort of and i kind of take that to mean partially that based on life experience based on 
you know, the, the millions of things that make up your mind, your psychology for any given person, um, things are going to get to you or they're not going to. Um, but I also, I don't know if I wholly agree with that, but I think that does tie into that, right? Like the idea that I wonder though, too, because some things will scare you. I think when you're at different phases of your life and, and, I don't know. Again, like pornography, Mm. it's going to work or it isn't. But I also think that's, you can't discount craft, right? Like you're saying you got scared of, of manhunt. And I think about why something like that might be frightening is so much of it is, is based on the way that game looks and the way it sounds, Mm. the way it feels to control it. I don't think we've drawn any conclusions. Well, but that's okay. There, it's, that's the fear of the unknown. There we go. <laughs> and on that, on that scary bombshell. <laughs> and I, I have a fun, a fun uh, question for you. Go on. If you're gonna carve a video game pumpkin, that's, I like that. That is a fun. Que- no, that's actually a fun question. And the first thing, what would you? The first thing that springs. What would you carve? Like Master Chief's head. Because it, it's quite pumpkin-esque already. Mm. I mean, it wouldn't be that scary, oh, but it, it lends itself, I think, quite readily to pumpkin carving. You know, I did think Master Chief's head at first, yeah. too. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, a Pac-Man? A Pac-Man would work. Absolutely, you could, you could do a Pac-Man. Um, you could... <laughs> labor conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, just you know, just the words gender inequality, um, uh, uh, or maybe yeah, just just again, just carving words into it like another Assassin's Creed. <laughs> um, uh, N- Notch is a billionaire. Uh, lots of scary things from the video game VR speculation. VR speculation. Maybe there isn't a Half-Life Three. That's yeah. That's spooky. That's yeah. That's spooky. You know, some people say that there's this part in Half Life Two that is frightening. The the Raven called. That wasn't scary. No, actually, you know what? I disagree. I was quite frightened during that bit. Yeah. No, I was. You know, what's frightening is that like you're still like ten hours from the end of that game. Well, there's (laughs) that. There's that as well. (laughs) They're like, oh no, it's a, a head crab. No, they were, a head crab. That I found scary and kind of gooey and itchy, and uh, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of fluid, kind of flying. Yeah, and then there's that guy who comes out and he's like, "Take a shotgun, I'm a, it's zombie time, Gordon," and then you're like, and he's like, "Yeah, I thought so." <laughs> it's like Gordon, you ever seen anything like this? And then and then Gordon, that iconic character, goes. And he goes, ah, uh, 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 that never happened to me, Gordon. <laughs> it's a classic moment in video games. I'd love, I'd, I'd love for a Half-Life character to, to like just, just confront Gordon. And like, say, what the fuck is wrong with is you? What is your deal? Like, what are you doing? Because he can talk, he just chooses he not chooses to. He chooses not to. He cho- is he like raising what... money for charity? Is he doing... 
fundraiser. There's actually an yeah, he at the beginning of Half-Life 1 and they don't show you this. He has a fight with his partner and says I will not speak again until this is resolved. Yeah. And then then of course all the game takes place. And so he's never he's never been, he's never been able to He's a very resolute man, which you can tell by his goatee and fucking crew cut. He looks like a highway, like a U.S. marshal. I, I, yeah, he does. I, I, anyway. I hate Gordon Freeman. I despise him. Paul Dano from Little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> just. <laughs> um, yeah, just say something. Like, Christ. He doesn't even say ow. Like, when he gets shot, he doesn't go like, ah, shit. Does he grunt no, when he like no, lands? There's, there's nothing. That no sound. Wait, so maybe he is just sort of like I don't know, hermetically sealed into that jumpsuit he wears, that iconic jumpsuit. Yeah, maybe. Hazmat suit. Well, mate, well, maybe um, the game are just lazy. <laughs> no. No. Alex Vance loves him, so there's something that we're not seeing. <laughs> uh. All right. Okay. Well, there we are. That's that's, all right, a, that's a dead Smith. That's a, all right. Um, bleed Makata. Uh, yeah. That is a very roundabout discussion on horror games, without any uh, any sort of traceable, relatable points as such. But that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, I, I quite like just sort of talking. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't expecting any going in. Um, you know, just, what are you gonna say? Like brushing our hands together at the end, like, oh, that's horror games <laughs> done. Put to bed. That that is them. If we, I, yeah, if this had been an edited video with the title, "Why are some games scary and some games aren't?" By Bullet Points Monthly. Mm. Um, okay. So the, we have. Oh, sorry. No, after you, please. I was just gonna say we have. Uh, the stuff going on on the site for more Halloween flavored material. So, There's yeah. What have we got? Yes, we've got, we've got myself on. I, I want to talk about myself first. Uh, I I did Max Payne. Yeah, Astra did. I think that was Fatal Frame. I did this. You did. Uh, you did a, a smaller uh, sort game of a, that I haven't that I haven't played. No, you've played it. Oh, Get Even. Of course you did. You did Get Even. A D grade sort of. No, that's not fair. There's redeemable aspects to it. It's sort of a C-grade uh, psychological horror shooter thing. S- thriller. Starring not Sean Bean. No. Sh- Sean Bean's non-union equivalent. Um, <laughs> bon, bon Sheen. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> that's exactly what he who sounds the, like. Who the fuck are you? Let me out of here. Yeah, e- and then he... Bloody he hell. Do the say going in a northern accent. Going. No, you can't do it. It's not that's right. going. That's that's what. Uh, I'm going to kill you. That's Scottish. No, yeah, they've gone right off the rails. Okay, and it's getting offensive now. Sorry. Um, and then we're going to. We have an article still upcoming. It may be up by the time this is here. Uh, Emma Kidwell, who friend of the show, has been on the pod before, podcast before. And she's writing about uh, a Twine game called The Relief of Impact, Ooh, which is good. I like that title. Yeah, it's about sleep paralysis. Ooh. Short. 
Oh, yeah, there's a good film about that, The Nightmare. I like that film. I didn't like that film, but I saw it. Wasn't that by the same person who was like... Room 237. <laughs> yeah. Which I like. Baby's first baby's no, first film criticism. No, I don't know, no it was fine. No one seems to get that film. They don't seem to appreciate the irony. He's not saying that these people's observations are, are right. He's saying that, look what this film has done to them. They've become obsessed. That's the whole point. It's it's a film about obsession and, and fandom. He's 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 ex- not exposing them as such. He's not mocking them, but he is sort of making it. It's, it's an ironical thing. I didn't hate it or like it. It just was. It honestly, it just felt like, hey, here's here's like some very informally presented readings of The Shining. Oh, but I, by these people. I, great music and visuals, and, and it was edited so well, and really good interviews. And I, <laughs> you know what else is great music and visuals? <laughs> A little movie I like to call. <laughs> The Shining. Yeah, but The Shining's boring. It is, and then it isn't, and then it is. And, and, and then the elevator opens, and all the blood comes out, and it's spooky. Um, the Shining's not actually that scary, it's just unsettling. The, the Shining isn't scary. When it is scary, it is very scary. But a lot of the scares, I think, are detracted from by Jack Nicholson's fucking, like amphetamine performance where he's just yeah. you don't believe that that guy is anyone's dad how did he and this bothers me as well and maybe this we should wrap up after this yeah, but you, you you write a lot ed i write a lot <clears throat> i would love to go up there and just write you know i know i was i wouldn't start going crazy i know I, and, and what he cracked within a year I, what, come well on well less than that it's like it's like a week it's like a fortnight and he's just off his ass why don't we do a, a, a remix <laughs> of The Shining <laughs> where Jack Torrance? Yeah. Wow, that was good memory. He has to be a, a freelance writer for a month mm. and and he just he has a one bedroom apartment mm. <laughs> that he that he lives in with his wife and child. <laughs> and he's just yeah, E3 is coming up and he's trying to source review codes and uh, the publication that he was writing for has pivoted to video <laughs> Danny's on his big wheel but he, he can't he can't ride it anywhere <laughs> he's like bumps into one wall gets out turns it around bumps into another wall yeah I, I like that we should do that yeah okay. The Shining 2 I think there is a sequel to The it's Shining. Called, I don't know, Stephen King sucks. It's called Doctor Sleep. What a fucking hack. Stephen King. <laughs> anyway, that's 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 for another podcast. What's that done? Put, put that to bed, Stephen King. Hack. Yeah, just leave that Let's hanging to that. be continued. Okay, so you can go and look at all of our scary articles on Bullet Points Monthly, not just about Max Payne, Get Even, Fatal Frame, and the... What was it of Impact? The relief. I thought it was the relief. Yeah, the relief of impact. Okay, uh, but you can also read all the stuff we've written about other games, and you can listen to other episodes of this podcast at bulletpointspodcast.com. If you like what we do, go to patreon.com forward slash bulletpoints and donate generously. We we really appreciate all of your support. It lets us keep doing this, and um, it lets us keep producing this top quality hashtag content now then uh before we depart finally before we depart for the um for the for the arc for the virtual reality uh module in space 
I would also just like to remind people that we have a book coming out. We have a book coming out called OK Hero, which is a series of essays on the Metal Gear Solid uh, games written by... Those have some spooky stuff in them. Oh, they've got some real spooky stuff in them. And those are written by myself, Reed, and Astrid. Uh, the, the book is pending. It's moving along. It's It would be more frustrating for other people if we, like said exactly where it's at and everything if you, so. if you go to okhero.tumblr.com you can go and see uh, the artwork you can read a little, more, a little bit more about it and um, yeah please please keep keep the dial locked on at bulletpointsvg on twitter for further updates about okhero which is going to be really good that's us that's everything mm. are we good to go that's right um yeah, that, that's it. We also have those podcasts on Patreon as well. Oh, I always yeah. feel like I need to stress that if you're supporting the Patreon, you aren't just supporting these podcasts because I know for a lot of people the idea of financially contributing to uh, Kingdom Hearts discussion podcast uh, is probably morally uh, reprehensible. Um, but essentially you're supporting the site. We try to do these podcasts to keep the site going. Um, so there's this this kingdom hearts podcast that Astrid and I've been doing and our most recent episode, we have been fortunate to have someone who both likes and understands kingdom hearts and is, is very good about explaining why we had Julie Muncie on. Um, and then we have that industry minute, which is the, the business, the biz, the, business, the biz pod, the business of games, what Rick Ross would call the beardness of games. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, so there's that. There's that. Righto. And that's that's what I got. Okay, well, on that note, I'd like to say uh, thank you for listening, and please join us for another episode of this show. And between then and now, have a good Halloween, get scared, play some creepy video games, and we will see you again soon. <laughs>